Boy, howdy. Boy, howdy indeed. <laughs> Welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast, everybody. This is the Lanky Guys. My name is Dr. Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Muzzin. And we're coming at you. Live. <laughs> I mean, this is the point where I never quite know what to say next. No. Here we are. <laughs> again. Again. <laughs> Here we are again. Well, you know, what's, you know what's so funny is that we go from Easter into these like gigantic, massive feasts. And it's always so funny to me because I'm turning 40 this year. And, are you um, really? I'm turning 40 in August. Wait, if that's true, that means I'm right behind you. Yes, you are, dude. Welcome to the next level, oh, bro. I don't like that. And somebody said, are you- I'm s- only 38. I still got some time. You- I thought we were a year apart. We should have this debate somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you're turning 40. And and somebody said, are you going to have a party? And I said, uh, yeah, I'm having a party for sure. I said, in fact, I'm having 40 parties in a row. And then I was like, that's what Easter should be. 40 parties in a row. Well, it's what 50 parties then. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but then what's funny is that you finish Easter, the 50 parties in a row, and then uh, and then you have the solemnity of the most holy trinity, which we did last week, and we have the solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Jesus Christ, which we does, this, did this week, which is like, I mean, these are massive. We're hitting it pretty hard. I mean, this is like, dude, this that 50 just turned into 12, 14 more. I can do math. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of it really quickly. That's hard math. I know. That's like 64. Wow, so we're really still in the celebratory season. It's kind of cool looking. Yeah, I'm just looking at my little liturgical calendar in front of me, and there's just all these white Sundays, green weekdays, but white Sundays. Oh, the party ends next week, though. The party ends twelfth, twelfth, what twelfth Sunday? <laughs> Did we? I couldn't quite read twelfth. We still missed a couple of those Sundays in ordinary it's time. It's still it's so confusing to me how that's. No, it's not confusing, but it's annoying how we skip over. I know. You just think it should be consecutive, but they're not consecutive. Because it's ordinal, because actually that's the precise reality of what ordinal means. Yeah, it just keeps on going. It means first, second, third. It's not one, two, three, four. So it's actually a, it's, it's consecutive counting. There's something very uh, reminding of our mortality that time keeps moving. Even though we're in the celebratory season, the time is still moving on. Ooh, underneath you know it's undercurrents. If their undercurrent is still time is moving forward. Uh, this is what it is. It's it's like the ocean. It's like the ocean <laughs> teeming with fish. And and man, I'll tell you what, we have two amazing waves that we can catch this week. Is that your segue? Yeah, that, I like it. That, well, we have four amazing waves. Well, no, no, I'm saying is is that what? like. Are, <laughs> I, I Wait, what, I, maybe I misunderstood the segue. You totally misunderstood. What are the two waves? No, no. I guess it was the whole, most holy trinity because, like, we've been we've been surfing all through Easter. There's a big wave, and there's a big wave, and the most holy body and blood of Jesus. That's a big wave. Okay, I thought you meant the readings are the waves that we could surf. Yeah. So the other ones, we you kind of have to just like body surf because they they don't have enough. They're not like crested, you know. It's the ones where you have to run across the sand and jump on the board. And <laughs> right. Surf's up right now, though, man. Surf is up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that happy note, <laughs> we are going to jump into uh, the first reading for the Solemnity of the Body and Blood of Christ, Corpus Christi. Um, and luckily enough, um, the readings do have to do with their topic this week. Like, <laughs> I was uh, talking to a, a priest friend of mine who's a brand new priest, was just ordained. Who I was also talking you to. You were also. At, and he at, was At a different time at the same party. And he was reading through the readings, and he was like, there's no mention of the Trinity here. I'll listen to the lanky guys, because surely they know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> and our whole podcast, we can't find him. We can't. Like, it made it me was so very happy. confusing. It made me so happy. They were saying in their... Uh, in their seminary, they would just pass around the podcast and just take all the 
all the good. I, I, I have been so humbled recently in realizing and talking to people about how many priests access this podcast to get some material for their homilies, which I know we said it before, but I, I think there's few things in my life that are as humbling as knowing that yeah. we're actually a resource for people, for priests who are trying to feed their own flocks. And right. if we can do that, um, I mean, I want to feed all, all of you and, you know, give all of you things to chew on and think about and, and enhance your experience of the mass. But I mean, especially if priests are able to actually pull for their homilies and feed their own flocks. I'm just, I'm so honored and so humbled by that. And I, yeah, I always forget, when we talk about this, how vast of an audience we're actually speaking to. And <laughs> thanks be to God, I'm not seeing all ten or 12,000 of you because... I'd be a lot less flippant in what I'm I know, I know. saying. We're just like hanging out in the basement, and like we, this is like this is what happens: is that we translate, you know, um, flaming hot Cheetos with limon and Red Bull yep. into a podcast. Oh, we kind of mix it with the Holy Spirit, <laughs> and then and when then, we can find him, in when the we can find him in the readings, and then you can feed your flocks. So it's kind of like I think there's some scriptures mixed in there too. I think your your recipe is off. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Speaking and of the, the Bible, speaking of the scriptures, our, yes. what's our first reading? First today? reading is coming from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter eight, verses two through three, and then a big jump all the way to the verse fourteen b. Through 16A. <laughs> little piecemeal, though. <laughs> it's a little yeah. piecemeal. Just like the manna probably was. That's right. So it's a flaky oh. flaky set of readings. Oh, today. my goodness. Come on. Dude, you got to better pick it up, man. I, the manna? Yeah. See, uh, I, yeah. Dude, you, didn't even, you could even hang with it on I just that said one. it. I'm, <laughs> I <laughs> okay. Said. Our psalm is 147, uh, verses 12 to 13, 14 to 15, 19 to 20, with our uh, uh, response from verse 12. Can I share a fun fact about Psalm 147 fun, before we fun, jump in? Fun. Do you know how in different versions of the Bible there's a different numberings of the psalms? Dude, that always confuses me in my RSV because there's like it's yep. like, this is Psalm 51, bracket 50. And you're like, right. I don't know what this is. And then and, you give it for penance, they don't know what they're doing. And it's the difference between the, the Greek version and the Hebrew version because some, one of them is split into different parts. But what I want to say is that Psalm 147 is the one where both series of numberings are brought back together. Oh. Because in the Hebrew, 146 and 147 form one psalm. And so the reconciliation happens. It, it goes from the, the the strange, weird numbering goes from Psalm 9 to 147. But there's something, I don't know, kind of cool that this is the week that they're, the numbers are reconciled. So whatever your Bible is, Psalm 147 is Psalm 147. That makes me feel ha- like delightfully, delightfully resolved. Uh, kind of me too. Remember before the podcast, I was like, "Hold on a second. Yeah, I, I just was excited. Oh, now there's I understand. something kind of fun and reconciling about that. Our second reading is from First Corinthians chapter ten, verses sixteen to seventeen. Man, it's like two verses. I love that when that happens. They're potent though. <laughs> and our gospel, after a very long sequence, but, I gotta say. Our church, I just love our church. We just kill it on the sequences when we do it. Our oh, choirs, yeah. every one of the masses too, our choirs are just spectacular. I love it when we sing the sequence. So hopefully you guys get to enjoy some of that as well. We're not going to talk about it today. Our gospel reading comes <laughs> from John chapter 6, the Bread of Life discourse, from verse 51 through 58. This is awesome. Well, dude, I was reading the Deuteronomy, man. Were you now? And... This reading is so spiritually intense. Spiritually. That was very, <laughs> very enunciated. Dude, I just wanted to say it specifically. You did specifically get it. 
<laughs> Dastardly dog. So I do give me some history. What, what are we talking about here? What's happening in this dude? Thank you for asking. <laughs> I don't know. Somehow that warmed my heart that you asked me that. <laughs> I loved giving the history. It's what I do every week, but for some reason you're asking me. It really warmed my heart. Oh, dude, absolutely. Well, because I'm oh. curious to know how to understand like mm. w- the the kind of spiritual intensity of what's being asked of Israel, and I'm like really wanting to understand the context of it. It's the three M's. Ooh. Okay, so here's three M. That's sticky. Oh. 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 <laughs> um, I heard a great story about the company Three M and how it was founded, but I don't remember that. That's a story for a different Dude, day. There's another great wasn't story. It an ac- wasn't the sticky note an accident? No, this well. See, this is the thing: is that oh, oh, oh it is. Here Scotch tape is used as a tremendous example of entrepreneurial action. Entrepreneurial. Entrepreneurial. <laughs> Entrepreneur is somebody who goes and starts their other stuff. Entrepreneurial action is when you're in, in, innovating within an institution. Oh. And th- this guy could only use a certain amount of money for an expense report without approval. Okay. So he he's like literally just chunked everything into hundred dollar things so that he never got had to get approval to make scotch tape really oh yeah yeah and it wow. was like this massive innovation within the company and entrepreneurial just, entrepreneurial action yeah i like that word yeah, isn't it good i'm gonna be an entrepreneur here at uh Do the you, thomas center you are an entrepreneur here you didn't know that i didn't i've never even call, i haven't even called you that because wow. i uh but now i get to you've taught me two new words today father peter <laughs> <laughs> what was the first one propedeutic propedeutic uh, an introduction to teaching something. Introduction. Interdiction. An inter- you're, you're, <laughs> this is an introduction to teaching. Oh you're like, gosh. I want to be able to teach, but I cannot. <laughs> Everyone's rolling. The Baselis are all rolling their eyes. Okay. Um, <laughs> context. The three M's. Okay. Oh, that's how we got there. Three M's. <laughs> so in Deuteronomy, what Moses is doing uh, throughout really the whole book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, by the way, is is considered in a lot of ways the constitution for the people of Israel. It is the law par excellence, right? You get the Ten Commandments, all the laws of uh, that were given back in excellent Exodus. Here, they're kind of put together as a whole. So, okay. when throughout the rest of the Bible, and certainly in the New Testament, there's talk about the quote unquote law. law. We're talking about Deuteronomy. It is the the centerpiece of all of. Hebrew life from that point on. Mm. And the the context it's being given in, so they've come out of Egypt. Remember the Exodus story, Pharaoh, the Red Sea, the plagues. They came out of Egypt. They um, were at the foot of Mount Sinai. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. While that's happening, there's the sin of the golden calf happening down below. Everything goes crazy. There's lots of sin. And so God says, okay, this generation is not going to go into the promised land. You're not going to get your homeland. So they wandered for 40 years. And now, by the time of Deuteronomy, a new generation has risen up. That previous generation has, by and large, died off, except for Moses and and Caleb, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Or Moses and Joshua. Yep, Moses and Joshua. Uh, And Deuteronomy is Moses preparing a new generation of people to enter into the promised land and be the nation that God has prepared them to be. So Deuteronomy is doing two things. It's recalling the story of salvation history because Moses knows that the surest way for the people of God not to be the people of God is for them to forget where they've come from and forget what God has done for them. So, so much of the book is saying, this is what God, which is what he's doing here. Right. Saying, don't forget all this stuff. And then preparing them when they, when you go in, here's how you ought to live. And so it's teaching. So here in, it's actually chapter seven, eight, and nine. It's one of my favorite parts of the book. Uh, He gives us basically a series of three warnings and it's all couched within the story of salvation history. But he says, okay, when you go into the promised land, there's going to be three temptations 
that this people will face. And this is why I call the three M's. And they're going to be the temptation. Chapter 7, he talks about the temptation of militarism, which is once you have this land and you begin to realize you have some influence and you have some power, you're going to want more power and you're going to want armies and you're going to want to take over other nations. That's not who you're supposed to be. Mm. You're not a nation who's supposed to take over other nations. You're not supposed to be imperialistic at all. Not imperialistic. That's a better way to put it. You're a nation who's supposed to be a light to other nations. Right. Not uh, one who's supposed to go out and, and on the offensive and kill other nations yeah, you're not supposed so, to be a you're not supposed to dominate other nations. yeah yeah like you're actually supposed to be humble and to accept your reality as the chosen people of god with a dissemination of it absolutely like so i like the the idea of militarism because like yeah you're not supposed to like hurt people with this yeah exactly right and it's but it's going to be a temptation so be on guard right chapter eight where we are this week is the temptation to materialism. Mm. And this is where he kind of calls back on the manna. He talks about the quail. Basically, what it's, and, and this is really what happens in the intervening verses where we skip. It says, look, Moses says, you're going to be in the land. It's going to be this land flowing with milk and honey. There's going to be pastures and crops and flocks. I mean, you guys have been literally wandering in the desert. He points out, what does he say? You know, you've been in this terrible, vast deserts with seraph and serpents and scorpions and parched, waterless ground and this horrible, harsh environment that's hot and, and just very, very harsh. Soon, you're going to be in a place where you have crops and fields and land and water and, and all these things. And it's, there's going to be riches and abundance. And when you have that abundance, you're going to be very tempted to forget the time when you were in want and forget the time that God had to provide for you by sending manna from heaven and quail from the skies because you're going to be self-sufficient all of a sudden. I mean, it's such an interesting thing. We have a whole different level. I, 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 I don't know if you knew this. There's no ancient culture before modernity that was atheistic. Atheism is a completely modern concept. Now, I'm not saying everybody was Christian, but no culture or people or civilization that has to grow their own food and rely on rain to come and the sun to shine and things to work out and things outside of themselves ever didn't believe in something beyond themselves. But now that we're the kind of people who we can just literally go to Safeway and buy whatever food we want in or out of season, anytime we want to, any time of day, we don't have to think about where any of that stuff comes from mm. because we're a people of abundance. Yeah. And we flip a light switch and light comes on. We go right. to Safeway, we get whatever we want to. I don't, I've never come in contact with a cow or a chicken or any of these things. They're just these things that magically appear on the shelves. You haven't seen a cow? That, I, 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 of course I have. You, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> now you know what you're saying. I'm just, Thank you. I'm being a pun. I've never butchered a cow. Let's put it yeah, that way. Okay. But you know, who gets hamburger without having to butcher their own cow? Well, we do because somebody else does it outside of our view and we have no idea how that process goes, right? Right. Um, so Moses is saying you're going to have a level of that where you will have abundance and riches and it's going to turn into a materialism where you forget who God is because you have enough. You don't have to worry from day to day where your food's going to come from. And that's a real danger. Right. Because he's saying, I'm calling you to remember this time of affliction. Don't forget when you get that time of abundance. And then the, the just to make note of it, in chapter 9, he's going to talk about moralism, which morals are very good. Right. But moralism is this idea that, well, we are the people of God, therefore we're better than everybody else. And so everything we do, because God is with us, everything we do is good. God's always on our side and we can do no wrong. 
and that's going to be another temptation, which will dude, it's, put which, that aside. which is really interesting because um, you know Saint Paul really goes at this when he contrasts the letter of the law and the spirit. Absolutely, and so that's so, exactly that's exactly the point of chapter nine. Yeah, yeah so you, you're like you know you think that you because just because you've checked off these boxes yes. that you're fine. Yes, absolutely, and, right. and and you can have your spirit totally wrong. And, and that's how many a, of us live that way? As oh. Catholics, well, I'm going to mass, and I've done, you know, I've checked my boxes, right? And that, and it's like, and that doesn't get the spirit right. Absolutely, which, which is which is very interesting because literally what he's saying here, you, um, in in this in this chapter eight, is that um, he's saying, remember how difficult it was to be able to get to the space that you're at now. Yes. So that's so, it. So you, you. So and why would you remember? So like th- this is the this is a hard thing. I, I, I kind of I always am going through this process. I say reverence. You know, you allow being to reveal itself. So you say, mm. who uh, God? You can reveal yourself. My neighbor, you can reveal yourself. I actually am reverent towards myself. Who am I? And I'm reverent towards creation. I'm like, what? What's who actually? am I? <laughs> Sorry, Jean Valjean. <laughs> Thank <Sorry>. you. <laughs> exactly, Jean. Thank you, Jean. That Absolutely. was very kind of he you. He was. To sing he that. was in want. He was, and so, but he, he never forgot where he came from. Well, this is okay, where. Sorry. This is where. That's exactly <laughs> where I'm going. Absolutely. So, so what happens is that when when you're reverent, you discover value. Mm. And once you've discovered value, you have to be faithful to that value. Yes. But to, but to be able to be faithful to that value, you have to remember. Yes. And so, right. so, so this is a, a straight out of Dietrich von Hildebrand's Art of Living. Those are his first three chapters. Dietrich. Yes. It's, it's, uh, I like Dietrich a lot. It's reverence, faithfulness, memory. Okay. So, oh. so, so those, so he, very good. because what happens is that what is the value of them having to suffer these things? Mm. And it yep. was valuable. Absolutely. Because they have to rely on something outside. They of have to go and they have to say, God is the one who provides. Yes. And as I suffer, cause it's, it says that, um, uh, God has directed all your journey in the desert. So as to test you by affliction. Mm. And find out whether or not it was your intention to keep his commandments. Ooh, that's a rough. That's a rough line, dude. I mean, that's why I'm saying this is the most intense thing. He's like, I'm going to test you by affliction to see if it's your intention to actually follow after the Lord. And did they pass the test? No. No, they didn't. I mean, this is a new generation. This, this is n- Plan B. <laughs> right. It's it's uh, that's what makes it such a harsh line. You know, I'm 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 thinking about something, and I'm I'm just I'm trying to apply this to my own life, and you know. I, I, I'm thinking of an analogy. I'll see if this works. I'll throw it out to you because I don't know your experience. Okay. Um, and I, I see, I saw this to some degree in my family. Um, and it was, you know, and I get it. And it, it's very, it was very noble. But um, my grandfather was a good man. Um, and he came out of World War II and the Great Depression. And he grew up in, you know, in, in the city in Cleveland. And I remember, you know, hearing stories about during the Great Depression that he had to, you know, sell things on the street corners and they had to scrape and, and you know, pull things together to try to feed the family. And it was the classic story from the depression. And then immediately came world war two. And it was, it was a time of suffering and struggling and really having to put a lot of trust. Right. Right. And I remember one of his intentions and I, I get it and I see the nobility of it. He never wanted his children to be in want and to suffer the way that he did because it was so harsh and he didn't want his children. And I think that happened to a lot of that generation, but I think because of it, a lot of people were deprived of some very real suffering and hard work that produces fruits 
because, you know, sometimes we have to. And, and as, a, as a parent, I don't want my children to suffer. I don't want them to no. have to feel hardship. There's something very natural about that. And um, you kind of get the impression that maybe you're seeing that played out in the nation of Israel as well. Like, we don't want them to have to feel the pain that we felt when we were out in the wilderness. Now we have abundance. We want always to have food on the table and all of these things. And uh, and somehow we lose the value, you know, having suffered and not wanting our children to suffer. We can lose the value of things like hard work and perseverance and really having to trust outside of ourselves. Right. And I don't, I don't know. I wonder if there's something to that. With the best of noblest of intentions, you can still forget and God says, I did this for a reason. There's a purpose behind this, a pedagogy. Uh, right, a propedeutic. A propedeutic. <laughs> so the, like, that's that's the whole thing that I'm like, this, like the 40 years in the desert was a, a total education in, uh, in the ability to actually be intentional about following the Lord, even when it means difficult things. But this is, this is what we're going to see, I think, throughout the readings today, okay. is that, um, the, that God is unafraid my, my dad yeah. has an expression he says god can hold his breath longer than you can <laughs> <laughs> i like that yeah he's like he he's can like, also beat you at a staring contest <laughs> absolutely and 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 so what happens is that um israel is being taught things for the entirety of history uh, that's the intent, and yeah. and and that's where Saint Paul he says the fullness of revelation has come to you guys. Yeah, you you've been given the ability to understand all mysteries. You've been given the ability to understand what the manna and the water from the rock in the time of Exodus actually meant, and that's what in a way that they never experienced. Right. That that's that's what we're that's what we're living in, and yeah. that we're we're able to actually understand how God has chosen in the middle of this. Um, to um to 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 educate those people for the sake of us and ask them to intentionally follow the Lord in obscurity mm. so that we can understand. Wow. Like that's intense. Th- I mean, it, it's what he asked his son and yeah. it's he, what he asked Israel and it's what he asks of us. That's true. Well, let me also throw out this just to kind of color the rest of and you see exactly where I'm going to go with this. One of the things that I think Deuteronomy is making clear so God provided for his people through the manna. Right. The manna, you know, it says, I was talking to some, some folks over in Drogos before we came up here. We were talking about the nature of the manna and why in this set of readings two times it calls the manna this food um, that your fathers had not known, a food unknown to you and your fathers. Why does he keep pointing that out? Why well, mm. I think the, the two parts to that, number one, it's showing what God has done for Israel in the Exodus story was unprecedented. Right. He never fed them. I mean, the, the, the providence is unbelievable. But there's also a negative side to it. Because do you remember what the word manna means? Uh, what is it? It means what is it? And I always get the impression, if you read the story closely, manna was not God's first plan. And it was sort of a, a, a concession in certain way. And I, I don't know what God's intention was, but you get the impression from the narrative that it was a concession because his people were whining and complaining so much. I get the impression he had something even better planned, but they're like, we want food now. We're hungry. We're thirsty. Blah. And he's like, fine. And I, uh, Phil, I was like, it's like, you know, the parent who's going to do something really exciting and really great for their kids, but they just keep complaining and whining. And you're like, fine, here's some stale potato chips just to tide you over. Just mm-hmm. be quiet. I have a huge feast planned for you. Here's a stick of gum. So stop complaining. You know, you know, you know it's, it, it, it's not yeah. that God is giving them a stick of gum, but there is a certain, it is us to some degree a punishment. 
And they're like, what is this stuff? We don't even, it's not even bread. It's just this weird, weird flaky Flaky stuff. stuff. You know, I, I look at, so, so I, you can look at the life of Jesus Christ and you can say, we understand what plan A is. Uh Like, like as as Scott decides to eat some chips right now, dude. Your your existential prophetic timing on that is really funny. I can't hold out for anything better. <laughs> so, so I just am laughing. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but I, I it's my propedeutic to you. Yeah, thank you. I was thinking, like, it, we can say we understand what Jesus, what the intention of God is by looking at the life of Jesus, and also how the lives of the saints play out, because because yes. um, you can see some of the the very best of our saints could survive on the Eucharist alone. Yes, and that that in in fact that Jesus was hungry. It says at the end of forty days, and he was hungry. Yeah, I my love favorite shortest <laughs> verse in the Bible. I know, and he was he hungry. fasted for forty days. And at the end, he, he was hungry. hungry. It's like the best, um, <laughs> because it's precisely Israel was meant to be hungry. And what was gonna, mm. the Lord going to do? He Ooh. was going to fill them up. Ooh, that's a profound line. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm hesitant to, to push too much on the manna being Plan B because the manna is the manna. Yeah, and to, it's totally, we understand. But, but what I want to get at is what, what I get from Deuteronomy, and one of the senses that I pull out. The manna was a miraculous providential food that was born out of affliction. Let me say that again. The manna that they were given Mm -hmm. in the desert was a providential, miraculous food that was born out of affliction. Mm. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yes. Okay. Let's go to the psalm. Let's go to the psalm. I I don't have all that much to say about the psalm. I said this is where it's reconciled. Praise the Lord Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Um, it's actually a fascinating passage. Jerusalem, Zion, um, the promised land that Israel is about to go into in Deuteronomy, which will eventually become the capital. Jerusalem will eventually become its capital later on. Um, Jerusalem is often personified. It's like a member of the family, so much so that when Jerusalem is destroyed um, by the Babylonians, the whole book of Lamentations is actually a funeral dirge for the city of Jerusalem. Because it was it was like a family member. It was so important. Um, it's also a uh, foreshadowing of the church, which is the new Jerusalem, right? Which is what we are. And there's something about the fact that even the city, even Zion, even the land cries out with praise of God. And I'm reminded back in this reading from Deuteronomy, even the land of affliction, even this land with scorpions and harshness and dryness, even that cries out to God with praise. Because if you have the eyes to see it, even the sufferings of those things, even the affliction is source is a source of God's providence. Mm. And if you read through the rest of this psalm, what you get is this, you get this imagery, I think, of a world of chaos and a world of confusion and danger and God fortifying his holy city of Jerusalem, giving it safety within its gates, gates that are, that are fortified and safe, and filling them with food and nourishment and sustenance. And of course, it's a prefigurement of the church, which God protects within the midst of a world of chaos and confusion and danger. And we're meant to move through this world, this desert, in a very real way, with scorpions and harshness and all these things, knowing that the city of the church will be protected by God and we will be filled. Even if it's flaky manna coming down from heaven, he will sustain us no matter what. Mm. And that's the, it's this psalm of, it's one of the, the six, it's, I think it's the sixth of the Alleluia Psalms. 
um, which is very beautiful. But I don't know. That's the sense that I get. This this sustaining, praiseworthy experience of the church within the midst of harshness around us, mm. knowing as we move forward that God will provide. We will be cared for and because we know our story. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And there's a line in the middle of it, I think, that is just critical to why they put it in, is yeah, he, well, fills, yeah. he fills this with finest wheat. Absolutely. But but what's really yes. interesting about finest wheat... Uh, wheat. I, wheat. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I have these words that I just say. No, yeah, you're and, and so <laughs> I just say these words, okay? I think I said that. I, wheat. Wheat. Um, but is, uh, when, there was a time when you had just had a mill, and so you could crush it once... We were actually literally talking about milling flour earlier this morning. And I predicted to the people there that somehow you would work into the podcast. <laughs> you did? I did. I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> I'm really Ann proud. Wagner, if you're listening, well, boom. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and so so you could run a single pass and you could crack it open and you could have coarse wheat. Mm. But if you kept running it and uh, and you got the, the, uh, the amount of effort, because the amount of processing that you apply towards food makes it more valuable. Okay. So if you buy shredded wheat versus a wheel of cheese, you're going to play a lot more for the shredded, I mean, sorry, the shredded cheese. I said shredded wheat. But like you're going to pay a lot more still to this day for shredded cheese than you are going to for a, a whole wheel of wheat. Okay. I mean, of, of cheese. Of cheese. <laughs> a wheel of wheat. <laughs> a wheel of I like wheat. the imagery of that. Um, so, so what happens is the finest wheat means that there's a, the, he fills you with finest wheat because what he's going to do is that he's going to settle you and there's going to be a, such abundance of time and space and peace and material wealth mm. that he's going to actually allow wheat to be fine so that the bread that you eat is mm. going to be this uh, exquisite delicacy. But right now they're, they're just, they're just in the desert. It's like straw. Struggling, you know, like trying to yeah. try and, but he says, but there's a promise in the middle of this. But, but w- what we know is you can see, and this is where those three M's can get so confusing, those temptations, you can um, yes. get your spirit wrong and you can start to, to, to be focused upon the earth rather upon what it means to live a life in the spirit and to say, Oh, okay. Hold on. I, I, like, like I'm going to fill you with finest wheat, and it's going to be so much more than just what the world offers. It's not just going to be a great loaf of bread. There's going to be meaningfulness. Yeah. There's going to be truth and transcendence and communion contained within this finest wheat, and not just great bread. Well, I, I think you just created a great segue into First Corinthians. Okay. I think. Um, which, like you said, is a very brief little passage, but the context, again, the context is kind of everything for this. So what it says here, brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is, is, not a, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because the loaf of bread is one. Uh, we, though many, are one body, for we to partake of the one loaf. It's talking about the Eucharist. Remember, Corinth, Corinth, Corinth is a city, we've talked about this in the previous couple of weeks, that is big time struggling. They're a disaster. They're, and again, not just the city of Corinth, which is, which is this incredibly licentious, hedonistic culture, but the church in Corinth is suffering with some re- sexual immorality, incest, horrible stuff is going on in the church, and Paul's really angry with them. Yeah. Now, where this comes, the rest of chapter 10 being the context, chapter 10 is all about the exodus. And what it says, and it, it's a really um, powerful and very hard uh, reading to hear. If you read what comes before this, this is the the so what. This is so what. This is the the end result. But what the rest of chapter ten says 
is basically it says, hey, you sinful Corinthians who for some reason think it's okay to live these horrible lifestyles and still call yourself Christian. Is, still... is, is this the one where he says there's sins amongst you that are not even found amongst the pagans? No, that's chapter five. Okay. But it's the same letter. Yeah. Yes, it's in this letter. But in chapter 10, he says, hey, remember uh, the Exodus generation. And he says, remember your ancestors. Because even though these are Greeks in Corinth, uh, they're still a part of the family of God. And so we're, we have one ancestry. So he says, remember the Exodus generation. It's like grafting a fruit branch on another tree. It's exactly right. Romans 8 or Romans 9. Which, which you can literally do. You can grow apples on a different tree. Oh, believe me, I know. Believe me, I've studied it. Okay. I really have. Sweet. Because Romans 9 through 8 is the uh, olive tree metaphor. Oh, that's all of that's all of it cool. I don't know. I'm sorry. That was a hard one. Okay, yeah, so okay. Keep, keep going. Um, okay, so he says, remember the Exodus generation. And he, he has this play on words where he keeps using the word most and then turns to, or he keeps using the word all and then turns to most. So he says, remember the Exodus generation. All of them passed through the Red Sea. All of them ate the manna from heaven. All of them ate the water that came from the supernatural rock, right? But how many of them entered into the promised land? Most of them fell. Most of them failed to enter into the promised land. And he basically says, take this as a warning because what they're saying is, hey, we, we've been baptized. All of them passed through the waters of the Red Sea, which is a prefigurement of baptism. All of them ate the manna that came down from heaven, which is a prefigurement of the Eucharist. All of them ate the water from the rock, right? All of them experienced the mighty deeds of God and did these things. Guess what? It wasn't enough to actually save them. It wasn't enough for get, to get them to enter into the promised land because they didn't actually take anything from those experiences. Yeah, they passed through the Red Sea. Yeah, they ate the manna, but it didn't. Tra- they didn't allow those things to transform them. Right. They didn't allow the affliction and the sufferings to actually be meaningful in their lives so that they rejected the ways of God. And, and by the, you know, make no mistake, you can't accidentally find yourself outside of God's plan. You have to <laughs> will yourself to reject right. it. And they rejected it because it was hard. And it was harsh and there were scorpions and there was harshness and dryness and everything else. But he's basically saying, look, these things aren't magic tricks. It's not like, oh, well, we're baptized and we go to mass sometimes. So that's enough. That's all we need to do. We did the checklist. He's like, no, look at the Exodus generation. They had all the checks. They did everything they were supposed to. They didn't do it, but they experienced all of these things passively. Right. Didn't do it. He said, make that a warning for you. You have to understand what God is doing. You have to unite yourself with him. You have to cooperate with this. Um, does, that, does that make sense? 100%, man. That is clear as crystal. Like that's uh, like, So be, the context is really clear. And, and that's when he comes, brings it home. So he's like, so the cup of blessing that we bless, it's a participation in the blood of Christ. When he was crucified and suffered and died. And the Eucharist, the bread that we break, it's a participation in the body of Christ, the one that suffered and died on the cross. Right. That suffered this. And so if you're participating in that, you're going to suffer too. Right. That's the one promise Jesus makes for sure. Yes. If you follow me, you're going to have to carry your cross. Right. And so he's like, don't try to shirk your cross because look at how it worked out for the Exodus generation. Didn't work out too well. Take that as a lesson. Don't forget your history. Yeah. And that's why at the center of our churches, we have crucifixes, period. That's it. it it's like, yep. it, it's like it, don't, don't be mistaken about mm. what it looks like to follow after Jesus Christ. It yeah. is cruciform. Yeah. Like, like for better or for worse, for better or for is. worse, it, you know, the, the corpus is on the cross. Yeah. It, it's not that we're, that's all done and that, that it, it's an, it's a participation in Jesus Christ. It's a unity with him, which is like 
so hard because it's this is mature words. This is Absolutely. not the milk of evangelization. Right. This is this is the this is the bare truth of following after the Lord. It's the meat of discipleship. It is. And yeah. and 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 it's and it's real. So but but then the participation in it what happened is the father supported Jesus Christ as he went through and died. He didn't stop him from dying. He supported him as he went. He encouraged him and he helped him to understand and like that is like the yeah. hardest thing when you when you watch in discipleship somebody transition from going in this moment of milk and normalcy into yeah. the difficulty of following in in the in the path of Jesus Christ and being hungry yeah. and saying like this is not going to make sense very good this is the, and 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 e- even though I'm filled fill, I'm fed by the word of God mm. that's what I'm fed by. Mm. You know what That's I'm saying? Good. Like I do. Like sometimes you're just fed by the word of God, and you got to return and say, like, and that because isn't that what's happening in all these readings? Return, Absolutely. return, return. Yes. Remember what's happening. Remember what's going on. Why? Because it's mm. been a training for thousands of years. Yeah. We're talking about an eight thousand year training. Yeah, eight thousand. I don't know. I, oh, how, okay. I was like, wow, where are you getting that number? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, it's, I'm like, I, I always think, right. I always think Five of years. of the the ta- Tanakh is six. Like from I don't know, like that it spans six thousand years. I don't. Is that know. right? I have no Could idea. Be. I I mean I th- literally I just pulled the number out of out of chemistry. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to nitpick you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to John. <laughs> okay, I I don't know why I just went to. That was really Cry- weeping. Weeping. <laughs> yeah, crying. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Dude, that was that was a millennial reaction. <laughs> Oh, oh, sorry, boy. millennials. Oh, boy. You better learn how to suffer when you listen to this <laughs> oh, podcast. Uh, we're both in Generation X, and we like things cynical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which All gets right. us to John. That's the worst transition to John that I yep. possibly could have Absolutely. done. But there we are. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. Oh, so... John 6, 51 to 58, man. This is like the summit of the Eucharistic discourse, baby. Ah. Like, which is like the, the the core of like apologetic interaction with somebody who does not believe in the Eucharist. Well, yeah. It, it's a mixed bag of folks he's talking to. Well, I you know, know but I'm just saying if you if I'm talking oh, to oh, somebody else. I thought else, you meant that's what's happening in the, no, in the no, narrative. No, no, I'm talking oh, about no, I how see. I use it. I see. I see where you are now. Yeah, the usefulness of this particular passage. So this is the whole thing, if you if you don't recall, where Jesus keeps saying, um, it, uh, it, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't have eternal life. And then they're like, that sounds weird and cannibalistic. And he's like, okay, well, let me make it clear. Unless you gnaw on my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no life within you. And they're like, that's weird. And it's this kind of back and forth where Jesus is crystal clear that I'm going to give you my flesh to physically eat. And the probably naturally appropriate response is, that's gross. Because you're like, that's weird. No, but he's I, like, yes, that's true. I can't handle that. But he comes to the end of it. And I, where do we, we, we don't, yeah. Um, he talks about the bread, of, the, the bread that came down. He talks about the manna. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors, the Exodus generation, who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread, the new bread, the thing that the manna prefigured, me, that comes out of affliction because I'm going to suffer and die, and the bread of my body, which will come out of the affliction of the crucifixion, is going to be life eternal. That's what you're going to need. And as the story ends, which we don't get in this passage, Tons of people leave. They're like, this is too much. Like, we, we were tracking with this guy. He was saying some cool stuff, but this is too much. I, we can't bear this. And the apostles are left, and Jesus looks at them, and he's like, are you guys going to leave me too? 
And the response hits on, I, you opened my mind to this just now. He's like, are you guys going to leave as well? And they don't say, no, we totally understand, Jesus. This makes perfect sense. We can't wait to eat your body. No, they're like, we don't know where else to go. So we're going to stay here with you. But really, in a sense, what they're saying is, Jesus, we're hungry. We don't even know exactly what we're hungry for, but we recognize the hunger. And we don't know where else to go to get it. We're suffering affliction. Everyone is leaving. They're abandoning us. You are saying things that make no sense whatsoever, but we're hungry, so we're going to stay here. And we're going to trust in your providence. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what it's going to look like because I feel like I'm in a land that's parched and dry and filled with scorpions. And you've said some weird things, but I'm hungry. What was the uh, the catechism's definition of original sin again? Uh, men, Adam and Eve let their trust in their creator die in their hearts. See, and this is actually the antidote. The opposite of that. This is, ooh, the, ooh. This is an antidote to letting their trust oh. in their hearts not die. Live in their hearts. Live in their hearts. Ooh. And, and talk about feeding on the word of God and being courageous and to say like, wow, I'm going to let this be real. That's legit. Because they they trust in the word that he's saying. They're like, or they're trying to. Well, which the, sometimes that's all we can do. That's I want to trust. I don't know if I do trust totally, but I'm trying. I'm I'm giving it my I'm giving it my all. I'm not going to let this die. Right. Because I'm hungry and I'm afflicted, and I know that there's a promised land that there right. that there is something beyond that that is that is more than just uh, conquering by power, yeah. getting the nice stuff. What's the third M? Uh, moralism, moralism, or telling everybody what to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like, like the Pharisees, because we've seen how that plays itself out. We've seen the Sadducees who are filling themselves up on their power. We've seen the Romans who are fighting everyone with their military might. We've seen the Pharisees who are telling everybody what to do and how much better they are. We don't want any of those things. You, Jesus, are different. You're offering an antidote that we don't totally understand, but we want whatever it is you have. Because they see all those M's playing themselves out in the world around them. Right. None of them satisfy they don't satisfy and you will you will remain hungry with all of those and and that and that's like isn't that the nature of our sin when we we go to sin and and we actually remain hungry that that hunger is never satiated by the things that we go to right that's exactly right and and like Uh and and that's like i mean and it's so funny that that like that or it's like the sour bright crawler satiation where you're just get you get a tummy ache yeah you're like oh this didn't do what i wanted it to do (laughs) <laughs> exactly. That's why we stopped eating them on this show. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm that's kidding. why. <laughs> no, it's because we don't have any. <laughs> right. But but yeah, the, and 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 then what is standing at the very center of all of this mm. remains the most simple reality, the finest wheat. Mm. The 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 wheat that took thousands and thousands of years to to be able to be milled until finally it was ground fully and uh, brought into the earth yeah. and then raised up again um, yeah. and and ascended back to the Father so that we could receive the very finest, most processed, most intentional food that has ever existed. But you don't yes. understand what the Eucharist is without this history, without remembering, without yes. going back and looking and saying, um, okay, I, I'm not, I'm, the Lord is trustworthy from the very beginning to the end. That's why we are like, we're really called to yes. like remember. And the way we remember is like what we're doing on the podcast right here. We tell the story tell again the story. to each other yeah, and we it. tell the story to each other. 
Cause like, dude, this is so helpful, Scott, when you talk about these things and I get to, I get to ruminate on, on like this condensed version that, that is, doesn't have all the detail, but that's exactly how retellings are always. That's how they're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's so that we can Ooh. be nourished and, and allow the hunger in our, our life to be trustworthy. It's a trustworthy hunger. Oh, that's a good, Ooh, that's the name of the podcast. Trustworthy <sighs> hunger. I like that. You, I mean, you totally blew it open with the hunger piece. The Hunger Games. The <laughs> Hunger Games. <laughs> but that's the thread. I mean, that's what makes this make sense. It's mm. recognizing the the holy hunger. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Ooh, thanks for joining us today, everybody. This is, a, this is a fun one. This was a fun one. I'm like, I'm like gonna go away and like I'm kind of like I feel good. I feel hungry. <laughs> no, I don't because I ate these, oh, these Cheetos that didn't satisfy. <laughs> oh. Oh. All right. Well, well you guys, we will be back next week. And and, uh, and you could support our ministry. You go to thomascenter.org, and if you feel like um, if you like what you hear, then um, I'll tell you if you support cam- the campus ministry here, um, you're supporting this podcast and supporting so many of those who were trying to enkindle the trust in the Lord. So absolutely, God bless you. We'll see you next week. Sounds good. The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.